Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Daniel Cherney. Daniel is the journalist at Code. He's previously worked as a sports writer for The Age and a freelancer for various digital media companies. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of having initiative and being curious to develop your craft. The key to writing a good story is including the best content at the start and thinking of what people will be talking about at the pub, also known as the pub test. Why developing your process is critical to perform at your best how Daniel manages public scrutiny and the pressure to produce high-quality content with speed and accuracy. Before we start this episode, for those wanting our football high-performance program, make sure to head to our website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can sign up for a free 14-day trial. This program has everything you need to ensure you're well-recovered and ready to attack the next game. Now let's get into today's episode with Daniel Cherney. Enjoy. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jack. Let's uh, dive in the very beginning of your career. At what age did you discover that you had a passion for sports journalism? Well, I think back, probably it was probably there even from as a very young kid when I really stepped back now, probably from the age of uh, as early as I can remember, which is about the age of five or six, devour, you know, even you know, as soon as I could read, I suppose, or even probably before I could devour the, the sports pages we used to get the age delivered at home you know at the very probably at the very early days it was looking through who everyone tipped and maybe looking through the teams and maybe as my grasp of the english language got better i probably read more of the actual stories themselves and look at the pictures and i remember going to the going to games as a kid and would, you know i would love to get the footy record and read through that stuff and i'd have my dad would record games night games and you know back in the vhs days which um and, and watched them the following morning. So certainly immersed myself. I listened to games on the radio from a very young age and would commentate games in, in, the, uh, in the corridor or in the backyard. Uh, so probably always had that sort of interest in, in, in sport and particularly, particularly footy, but, but other sports as well. You know, I played a little bit of junior sport as a kid. was never particularly good. You know, generally, generally enjoyed it, but... It was very clear for a very early age that it was never going to be anything, was never going to go into any great heights there. So I suppose probably from um, a young age, there was, there was an interest that, you know, that, that looked like the next best thing or the, the cool thing to be, I don't know, a sports commentator or a sports journalist or writer or reporter. There's probably always a little bit of interest there. Yeah, even I edited my school newspaper when I was in year 12. Always had a bit of a passion for that. Uh, I, I finished school in 2008. And I didn't initially go into sports journalism. I actually started a, a commerce law degree at Monash, a, um, uh, yeah, a, a commerce law degree at, at, uh, at Monash, which I'll cut to the chase. I did finish it eventually, but I struggled my way through it. I, my part was probably never really in it. I probably always had the passion for sport and media, but didn't necessarily think it was a realistic goal to start with. Maybe thought, sort of thought, I mean, if I got the marks, I would go down the conventional path, sort of the more conventional path others in my family had done or some of my friends were doing. But probably after a couple of years I, 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 of that, I thought, no, nah, I'm not really enjoying this. I want to at least dabble a bit in the side on, in, in sports media. And I started up a website with a bunch of mates. I got the idea from a website in the UK called Test Match Sofa. We were doing a sort of a, a lighthearted Foot, uh, cricket commentary off off the couch in, in England, and we, we started doing something called Footy Couch, which was streaming a, a an AFL commentary thing for for a couple of years, and we actually did some shows at the comedy festival as well. But anyway, one thing led to another. I started doing a bit of writing for a website called Backpage Lead, and then to a um, and did some local footy commentary. But I, I got I got a big break in, uh, and increasingly was sort of putting my feelers out for jobs, and got a big break in late 2013, early 2014, when I was um, recommended for, put my name put forward, had my name put forward for a contract at the age and um, was very lucky to, to get that and uh, was there sort of for the um, almost eight years after that and just recently moved to, to Code Sports, so this new startup. So, um, 
yeah, it was, was very lucky in that respect. But yeah, I suppose to answer the initial question in a long-winded way, it was probably from a pretty, it was from a pretty young age that there was certainly elements of passion there, and, and it probably it just had, had to evolve, I suppose, over um, over a period of time to get to. 2013, 14, and, and then today. No, thanks for sharing, mate, and, and the open and honesty. I think that would resonate with a, with a few people in that you're not, you know, you're passionate about it from a very young age. That's not that common, but following the feeling of following the conventional path certainly is from peers and family and friends and, and what everyone else is doing. And you mentioned, you know, for a three to five year patch there, you were sort of exploring different avenues and trying some things out. How important, looking back now, do you think that what like you know starting up a website with your mates and getting and doing the footy couch and um, playing around with things at the laboratory phase, let's call it. When you look back now, do you think that's quite quite important for for those listening that might want to be a sports journalist or sports commentator, like you said? Yeah, I think I think overall, yeah, it it, it was, and you probably don't necessarily realise it at the time, but I think one thing that I always try to impress. And, you know, like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm still myself, I'm reasonably experienced, but I'm still, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a veteran by any stretch. But I, I try to impress to when you talk to younger people or even older people who are trying to make an inroads into, make inroads into, into the field. And it can be difficult is that I think more than anything, you need initiative. It's, it's just not going to just happen. It, 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 it doesn't just happen. I mean, you need, you can get luck along the way and you can have that I, I you know, do believe that you do make your own luck. And for instance, you know, my big break was definitely getting the job at the age, but that came about after, and I wasn't, I was lucky in the sense that it probably didn't take me, you know, some people might take 10 years. I was lucky it probably took two or three of, of sort of, reason, of, of reasonable, it's unpaid grift, so to speak. But yeah, I think, I think it was good. I think you, you look, you show to prospective employers that you have, that you'd, you're keen that you have initiative, you have ideas, you have creativity, probably hone some of the skills at that point as well. And, and it's interesting, I probably at that stage uh, in, in 2010, 11, 12, even, I probably was more, even 13, I was probably more, I was probably more thinking along the lines of if it was one of the, into sports broadcasting or, or commentary, but I was also doing a bit of writing on the side and, and, and the writing which sort of ca- probably came about as a result of, some of the commentary, at least through footy couch. So it was a good example of how sometimes your skills, if you go down a certain path, that can then open doors to other skill sets. And in that early, yeah, you said laboratory phase, you end up trying a lot of different things. Initially, some of the writing I was doing was sort of quite lighthearted and sort of almost sort of comedic sort of writing. And I've probably taken a little bit of that with me now, even to this probably more serious phase, you know, genuine phase of my career. But so you do end up sort of taking bits and pieces from from across the across those sort of early days. I imagine, you know, I suppose we're all we're all products of our, our own upbringings and experiences and, and journeys, and and certainly I, I take things from various parts of my journey. Even though there are probably moments you look back on, you think, oh, that was a bit cringeworthy, or it wasn't that a strange period of my life, or something like that. But it, yeah, it, it all it all plays a part, and it all sort of shapes who you, who you are and I wouldn't change anything really. No, so uh, for, for what I say, you know, it's all it's all made me the person I am today. Yeah, and that, and then you mentioned almost like that that phase where you you know building those skill sets. So let's call it like that generalist, which will resonate with strength conditioning coaches listening. Two things that the importance of building different skill sets and playing around with things through through experimentation, building those generalist skill sets before you specialize, and then also the the hard work that you need to put in to create luck. The two to three years of unpaid work. Talk us through your mindset in that phase. How, how often did you have doubt on, is there ever going to be a career here? Am I going to be, you know, am I going to be a professional in this space? Like two, three years is a long stretch. Uh, how were you making ends meet? Talk us through sort of how you got through that phase and, and what your motivation was, I guess, to keep yourself going for that long. Look, it's, it's a really good question. I, I was lucky in the sense that, lucky on a couple of fronts. I mean, lucky I was still living at home and a very supportive you know, I was in my late teens, early twenties. That stage, I was still living at home, so very good, supportive family. And I suppose, you know, I, I really, I owe my family everything. Even at times, you might get frustrated by some of the things they do, or, or at the times, even you know, maybe their decisions at, in moments weren't necessarily the right ones. But I was always felt loved and supported, and and ultimately, 
they were always going to, my parents were always going to support me in whatever I sort of wanted to try to do or achieve. Clearly played, played a big part in, in giving you freedom. I was, you know, I had some, a couple of part-time jobs, uh, which part-time jobs to, so, you know, make a bit of money to keep you going, just have, have, a, have a bit of money to, you know, live, live a sort of uni student life. Um, and I was still studying as well. So it was a bit of a balance at that point. I probably, maybe to an extent, I, um, I was lucky a bit in the sense that I think ultimately what it came down to at that point is it was, it was a passion and like I just wouldn't have done it, all that stuff, commentating local footy. You know, I was living in, I've sort of grown up around Melbourne's sort of inner southeastern suburbs and I was, grow, I was driving out sort of an hour every week to, um, to commentate games, the um, MPNFL and the Casey Cardinia League. So, you know, fair away from where I sort of um, was living at the time uh, and would be learning, you know, voluntary and was learning players' names during the week and printing off sheets and trying to find out who was, you know, number seven for Turidan or, or um, Beaconsfield and trying to play games in my mind, you know, trying to make a mental shortcuts to remember names and things like that. Yeah, uh, so, so stuff like that. But ultimately, ultimately I, I, I enjoyed it and it was, even if there are moments that might have been tedious or you might have been busy or you might have had to sacrifice, whether it was sacrificing, you know, social arrangements or so, so sacrificing, maybe sacrificing my uni, probably went by the wayside a bit. But I think ultimately, when I look back at the things I was doing at that period in my life, it was, I was doing them because I, because I wanted to have a proper crack at it. And I don't think I would have done that. And I, you know, I don't want to sound, make it sound like you know, I was a hero or anything. Like I wasn't, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not, we're not um, slitting the atom or fighting off, going off fighting, fighting wars or anything. I mean, it was going out and commentating footy games and stuff like that. But I think if you have the passion, you sort of go, you're willing to go and do that sort of, yeah, unpaid toil and practice your writing. And I, I, I remember I, I, I was writing for this website, Backpage Lead, which was sort of my the most noteworthy, I suppose, thing I did before. And it's not, it wasn't particularly noteworthy, but it was the most noteworthy thing I did before the age. And I remember the first time they sort of said, oh, we'd like to pay you a bit for your, it was like 50 bucks an article or something like that. And the first time they said, oh, we'd like to pay you for your, for your work. Like we, we feel like, you know, we really appreciate all you're doing the writing and we just, you know, and they said they feel bad that, not, that I'm doing it for free. And they said, we'd like to actually pay you something. And, and that was a point, I remember that was, a, you know, there have been a handful of moments in my professional life where you felt really get a real buzz. And that was a moment where I thought, wow, like, I know it's not much and it was, you know, it's not, it's nothing to, something wasn't going to be anything to live off at that point. But it was like, well, my hat, my work has some sort of financial value and like, it's just sort of reinforced. It was a moment I thought, well, maybe I can do this. Maybe that was the moment. I think that was probably the moment I thought, yeah, maybe there is actually something here. Because until that point, when it's just voluntary, you think, oh, am I just misguided here? Is just, am I just like any other, am I just like a lot of, a lot of kids who, are, who would like to sort of do this? And, you know, where's this future actually going? Or is this just going to be a little phase in my life and I'll end up just going off and, you know, working in administration somewhere or as a lawyer or, I don't know, any, some sort of debt. De- sort of conventional desk job, not to, to downplay that, but yeah, it's um, a passion project to it. Yeah, it was a passion career. project. And that was, yeah, that was, that, I do remember that moment sort of late 2013 or so where I thought, oh, okay, maybe there's something here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good message for those that do want to give and uh, how much of an impact that can have, you know, that could have been the crossroads or the start of just to give you a little bit, like you said, that confidence and those little wins uh, where they can lead to. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot in that. There's a lot of gems for whether it be developing athletes, coaches, business owners. Uh, everyone's going to have a drive and passion for something. Uh, well, I certainly believe that. Um, so discovering it, you were lucky enough to find it at the age of five, which is uh, very, <laughs> very well done. For others, it might take a little bit longer, but uh, listening to your gut and, and sticking to it, yeah, is inspirational, mates. And you mentioned the importance of putting in the work and the, and the consistency over that time and, and uh, initiative, what, what were some ways that you would action that initiative? Is that like emails, uh, getting, you know, building a network base or yeah, what did an initiative mean to you? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, well, I think that's sort of it. I mean, probably the most, the biggest initiative there was starting this, starting this um, commentary channel, this, this footy couch, which was 
pretty shambolic <laughs> exercise in hindsight. You know, a lot of technical difficulties. I was with a bunch of mates, and so it was a good. You know, we 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 had our blues because we were just, and you know, and at the end of the day, because it was all sort of, it wasn't a job for us; it was a hobby. We were, you know, we were all trying to balance the rest of our lives around that, and you know, it, it, rostering was an issue, and we were, you had know, to go out and get some equipment and things like that, and it was, you know, not many people were, were listening. But I suppose trying to, uh, yeah, that was probably from an initiative perspective, that was probably the standout because at least got the ball rolling and showed. You know, and and opened other probably opened a couple of other doors, and 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 was just pushing that. I suppose pushed that idea that, at least from a personal note, that I was keen to take. And, I, and at that point, it was probably just taking that that somewhere. I don't know where that would end up. Whether I can't even remember what the long term goal for for that was. I mean, maybe we thought because we saw this thing in in the UK, which we thought was moderately successful, and and, we, and in fact, from which the test match show from the UK, some people have gone on to become professional broadcasters from that. So in, in a weird way, it sort of has proven a bit of a pathway, that model. But yeah, that was probably the biggest initiative. And, and then from there, it's very much, it's just sort of a lot of that repeat stuff. It's, yeah, whether it's within that footy couch realm, so trying to push through website redesign or advertisers or social media, which was still, I mean, it wasn't in its embryonic phase, but, you know, we're talking almost, we're talking more than 10 years ago now. So it was a different, it was a different beast then. Advertising, I remember we actually, when we, when we started doing these comedy festival shows, which are sort of these live shows, I remember we went off and printed, uh, we, got a, we got all these flyers printed and we stood outside Richmond Station handing up, handing flyers ahead of some early season AFL games, for people getting off the, and I'm not sure how many, how many of those end up going in, but, you know, it was something. But yeah, it's, it's emails. It's uh, having ideas for stories. When you when I, when I had when I was starting to write for um, write for Backpage Lead, applying for jobs, seek, organised in network coffees, asking experienced people for advice. I mean, none of it was groundbreaking. They're all sort of conventional, pretty conventional standard networking mechanisms. But you know, it all adds up. And I, I think I, I say that that actually is the it's actually a great pathway for, for journalism because so much of journalism is about it's about relationship I, look i think most of i think most of professional life is about relationships also not most but a lot of professional life is about relationships certainly journalism is having initiative and curiosity and being willing to sort of you know cold call people cold email cold message whatever it is people is a big part of it and you know, sometimes it might be you might get a response, or people aren't. You know, you might annoy people a bit, but I think both at that stage and in the long run, personally, um, that sort of being willing to sort of put yourself out there a bit is it's probably. I think it's the only way. I think there's you know you're not you're just not nothing. If you don't do anything, you're not going to get nothing's going to get done. I mean, it's, it's obvious, but I've said that to you know as I said when you talk to kids or young people trying to get into to media or anything you just say look you just got to do it there's no the, the only way to do it is to do it if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. And, and what about for yourself like were there strong influences that you looked up to or mentors so to speak that would catch up for coffees or remotely over the phone however it might look or was that something that wasn't really possible until you sort of were working in a in a place like the age and you're in environments oh look i was lucky i mean i, I didn't sort of up having a sort of an enormous network like I, I didn't sort of know like a heap of i didn't have any sort of family background in it or anything like that in in media probably you know i think maybe my uh, you know it was a bit of a networking thing like uh my dad knew someone who's sort of loosely involved in it and and you know they caught, caught up the coffee with them but and, and and little things like that you're sort of just taking any sort of half connection you might have here or there and trying to sort of get some sort of advice but in terms of major mentors uh, early days, uh, a couple of people I'm very grateful for, you know, really for, again, I, I owe a lot to them. Ash Brown, who's uh, still very much in the sports media and um, the senior writer at the AFL record and works for um, uh, SEN, the former Croc Media, not, not so much the state, it does do some stuff on the, on the air, but um, sort of more as a, as a writer. And he was at AFL Media, We've had a veteran, you know, a long career, he was at the age years ago and Sportal. I sort of knew him through uh, loosely through the Jewish community, having grown up in the Jewish community, and he was someone who'd sort of done it and, you know, provided opportunity at Backpage. He was sort of 
around involved in Backpage Lead a bit, and he sort of helped with that. And and the other guy was a guy named uh, Charlie Happel, who was also involved. He, he was running Backpage Lead at the moment at that stage, so he sort of was giving me my regular uh, sort of gigs there, and was a very good. And he was a former age sports editor, who was giving me a lot of good guidance and counsel. Yeah, so there were it was. It, it was probably somewhat irregular. It wasn't as though I, I, did, I wouldn't say I had sort of someone who I was constantly, like I don't think it wasn't sort of I had like a, a journalism whisperer that you would talk to every week, like saying, oh, this is what I should do this week. But, but there were just some good people who, who along the journey would try to support and was, you know, they're probably two of the key ones that really pushed me along in my journey. But other, there, are, there are several others that sort of had become that through just mutual contacts I would get in touch with or they would put on to me as sort of, you know, you should, you should talk to this person. and. Uh, there's been a host of people across, not across my life, but across all phases of this journey and through continuing through my career that, you know, you're, you, you, I'm very generous for people for giving me my time and even giving their time. And even uh, something actually uh, as now, again, when younger people who are trying to break into the industry, I try to reciprocate that because I do think back to when I was trying to break in, you think that really does resonate. So I try as much as I can, you know, when you get a message, or a call or an email or whatever, just to, to, to respond and try to uh, organise to catch up with people or to talk to them on the phone. And even when, even also I'd say as a young journalist, I, I, I would um, have a, you know, you know I, I have a lot of time, well, I don't forget the people that early in my career, just even comes with more club contacts and things like that, senior industry people who were happy to sort of give me the time of day to listen to me as a young journalist starting out. And then when I got to the age, you know, it was a, Blessed, really, to walk into an incredible team. Really, you walk into sort of a team. I mean, I'll never forget the the uh, Monday, the first Monday morning. I walked in. It was sort of early in the 2014 season. We had a Monday meeting, Monday morning footy meeting, and I looked around. There's sort of, you know, Car- Caroline Wilson and Rowan Connolly and Greg Baum and Emma Quayle, Jake Nile. These people that I just, had, you know, grown up. You know, it sounds a bit geeky, sort of idolizing journalists. I wouldn't say necessarily idolize them, but you know, I, I, that I, I looked up to them and. They were the biggest names in the industry. Well, Wayne Carey was a, was a columnist, was there, and was just like, what am I doing here? What am I doing this 23-year-old kid with very little experience doing here? You know, in their own ways, you know, all, all of the people I worked with at the age have been, have, have taught me a lot. I've been lucky to have a lot of very good mentors and sounding boards. Very early days, a guy like John Pyrrhic was excellent to me. Peter Ryan, in the last few years, when, when he moved from AFL Media. But, you know, I reluctant to even sort of talk through to start individualizing, like it sounds like a coach, but you know, reluctant to, reluctant to individualize because a lot of very good advice and mentors, and you know, it really couldn't have been any better place to walk into because you're just dealing with some of the best and really all time and you know, greats of the sports media industry in this country. So, an incredible place to work. And hundred percent, mate. That yeah, it must have been. You must have been pinching yourself at that moment, being in that in that meeting. What about from a, a mental point of view? How did you feel? Like you said, you were younger the rest of the guys sitting in that space. So how did you feel about, from a connection point of view, how did you go about building relationships for those listening in that have maybe just in that space now where they're not feeling overwhelmed, but they're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in it now and now I've got to prove myself. How do you feel looking back now? What, what do you feel someone giving you advice to help support that phase? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. I think overall, look, I suppose I survived, I survived uh, I was on a 12-month contract, maternity leave contract to start with, and I got through that, and I kept, and I kept on there. So I suppose uh, I must have handled it okay or well enough. I think I was, you're lucky. Sort of, there are certain people that you just, I think you build natural rapport to and some people who sort of are always looking out for you. And I think it's tricky because senior people, you know, they've got their own jobs to go about and just go about, you know, go about their own work and everyone's busy and, you're in a very fast-paced competitive environment and it's constantly, you know, there's, there's, there's no room for breathing in, in the newspaper space because it's you got a daily paper to put out and you've got a website to keep up and you're always looking, you know, you're looking short-term, long-term, medium-term. It's all just happening quickly and there's, no, there's not much, you know, there's no sort of, I, I'm, I'm sure it's very intense and I know it's very intense saying that at a footy club, but, you know, conversely, at a footy club, for instance, you know, you're building up towards a pre-season, whereas there is no real pre-season at a 24-7, 365 news outlet it's just it's all the time Same day, so, every day every day and every minute and you know that's what's really changed in an online setting 
I think I was probably over it. I was probably over eager and probably stepped on a few toes. Like, I don't think I was terrible in that sense, but there probably a few times where I was maybe a bit too keen. I don't necessarily regret that. Like you just, I think you're, you're trying to sort of make an impression and it's, it's interesting because it's, because people can be, you know, people, not, not, not that people want to protect their patch necessarily, but people sort of comfortable in their own seniority and you, you know, they might, I can understand people thinking, you know, who's this upstart kid thinks he knows everything. And there were, there were probably times when I, yeah, if I'd maybe taken a bit of held back 10, 10 or 20% of in terms of exuberance or maybe played the political situation a touch better, I would have been well advised. But I think you're ne- it's, it's never going to be absolutely perfect in that respect. But I think overall, I tried to be respectful. I think overall, I think overall, I was reasonably respectful of sort of the senior people and, and, and not just single of everyone. And you, I think ultimately you want to try to treat everyone around the office. Well, you just want to try to treat people well, treat them as though you, as though you, how you'd like to be treated. And that can be hard because when you come in, you, you sort of want to make a, a really good impression. I think it ultimately comes down to being, and particularly in a job like that, where you sort of need to have initiative and you need to be a bit, you need to have a bit of edge to sort of go above and beyond. And probably some of the best people are, are a bit, probably a lot of the best people stepped on toes at some point. So it is, it is a balance. And I think you'd sort of rather die wondering than not, but probably it is, it is also worthwhile. And I'm sure it's, just, I, I imagine, I'm sure, but I imagine it's similar in any field. You just, just to still remain respectful and, probably wouldn't say deferential, but certainly be aware of that the people just, just keep, just continually keep in mind that the people that you're working with have a lot of experience and they've seen, probably seen it all before and they, you know, they're always worth listening to. And, and I, I think over the journey I have taken a lot of, that's one thing I did, I did do take advice on board. You know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I always, that I unfailingly stuck to it, made error, I made errors, continue to make errors today and you're never perfect and always trying to learn and improve. But I think, yeah, just try to, for anyone, try to take on board the advice of, of those senior people around you. Yeah. Great advice, mate. Love that. So yeah, be, be yourself, go, you know, go for it and, and, and push the boundaries. Like you said, go above and beyond, but then uh, also having that uh, awareness, like you said, to pull it back at times and be able to manage it. Uh, I think that's, that's really sound advice for, for anyone listening. What about some challenges? Is there one that stands out, a particular challenge in your career to date? And, and what did you learn and, and how did you grow from it? Uh, I think the challenge comes, the challenges, the challenges are ongoing and every day you pose the new set of challenges, which is, can be tight, which, which makes it an interesting job and, 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 and a stimulating job, but also a, the, hence sometimes a stressful job. So that's sort of the, the, the eternal tension between that is the is the part of it that, that's, you know, you're always on to the next, even if you have a good day, you're always, you just move on to the next one. I think the hardest days have been ones where I've sort of felt real, where I realized I've, I've got things wrong or at least gone too early or just, or a bit too hard or too far on things. Cut, there are probably, yeah, there are probably a couple of stories. It's not, there's not many, but there's probably two or three over the years where you, and it's never done in the sense of, it's never done in the sense of you're trying to make stuff up. And I think that's where probably people misunderstand media. I've never known a journalist to try to make stuff up or fabricate things. It's where, it's where you are maybe either too trusting or not, or not diligent enough. And there are probably a couple of times where I, one was quite early in my career. There's a story that I had, had sort of a couple of sources, but I probably was, was not, it was actually, it was about St Kilda Football Club and a potential move to Elstermick Park at a time when they were sort of weighing up where they were going to, they'd been knocked back off Junction Oval, I think, because of a, um, an election, a state election result, and they were maybe going to move back to Moorabbin. and they were unhappy at Seaford. This is, you know, more than seven or eight years ago now. Uh, and in the end, it wasn't a huge deal, but I probably wasn't quite diligent enough in terms of going through processes with, you know, making sure I, it was around New Year's, it was around the New Year as well. I think people, I think some of the, some of their staff weren't there at the time, and I, I probably just rushed, jumped the gun. I thought, oh, he's a, you know, he's a really cool story. There might have, I think there was probably an element of truth to it, but it was not 
enough, I probably overplayed it as well. And it was just an example of where you just need to be careful. It just would have been a better way to go about it and maybe hold back for a second. I think, I think where, where journalists run into trouble and where even now is you run into trouble is that challenge of speed versus accuracy. Um, because at the end of the day, it's, that, that's the eternal, that is the eternal challenge. I think that's where most journalists get into trouble is, is you're not ultimately your job. Your job is to get it is to get things right and to be accurate, but also, and, and to be fair, but also part of it is to, especially if you're in the news breaking scene, or even if you're not in the necessary news breaking scene, but you're in the storytelling, you, you still got to try to, um, if you're more of a sort of an, in, an interviewer or analysis, even if you're a feature writer or a, or a columnist or whatever, you still got it. There's still a timeliness element to it. So even if you're more writing a feature or analysis, there are still time pressures. And, but particularly in the news breaking sense, and yeah, a couple of occasions where you probably, sometimes you just get let down by things change and, 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 and maybe, and sometimes you probably just need to take a fraction of heat off a story. Well, here's an, here's an example of, that's, that's relatively recent. I read a story in 2020 after COVID's, uh, it was during the COVID cuts and there was uncertainty about what was going to happen with the VFL competition. Some strong mail that North Melbourne were pretty much going to get rid of their VFL program to one year of being a standalone again. And I know I knew that they made a couple of their key VFL staff redundant. I think the coach and their head of VFL. And I'd had it confirmed by someone in the know that I could sort of put to them, you know, is, is this, you know, are you going to have a VFL team next year? And then that, that person said it was, they suggested I, I didn't think so. And I was sort of reached a point where bring all that together, I was like, I'm pretty confident this is not going to happen. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to be out. And I, wrote, I think I wrote a story that, you know, I think the line was North Melbourne's VFL program is dead or is effectively dead. Within a couple of months, they had sort of banded together resources and, you know, they have a VFL team now to, to cut to the chase. They have a team in 2021 and 2022. And I think when they announced that, I got a bit of flack from people on social media. That's fair enough because you sort of you held to account to what you're right. And it's probably an example of a situation where I was not, I don't think I, think, I think I went through every step of the process to a reasonable degree. I think I, I, I used care and caution in trying to solidify my facts. But maybe if I'd just been, it's a good example of a time where maybe if I'd said, you know, VFL's, North Melbourne's VFL program is, is imperiled or is unlikely or, or, or there are grave doubts rather than just going there. Sometimes you, you can try to, to try to get the sensational, you know, dead, you know, and, and the thing, truth is, you, you want to maybe do yourself a little bit of wriggle room because things change, even though you, you, you're probably right at the time. And I feel like I was you know, right at the time. You, if, you, if I'd probably give myself a little bit more of an out, that would have been a good, and that's a good, that's a good learning example. So it's times like that, you know, and that was not a huge story, you know, a huge amount of grief over that. But you still, it still sits a little bit uneasily, things like that. And, and it's sometimes, so stuff like that, others where you jump to, you, you rush to get stuff out because you, you're giving good, you believe are good sources, but you probably should, you're better off double or triple, triple checking or right past other, other people. So that, that, that's the biggest challenge. And that's an internal challenge. You know, even, even today, I'm, you deal with stuff like every day, you, you sort of, at some level, you deal with, with that sort of stuff. But I think overall, because every single moment, when you get a morsel of a story that you think you, you want to, you want to, you want to break it, you want that sugar hit, but ultimately well, I do at least, but ultimately I think um, it's, it's good to remind yourself that you'd rather be, I'd, I'd still rather be second and right than first and wrong. I mean, you'd, you'd like to be both first and right. Maybe you can get away with a lot of the time you can be get away with being first and 90% or 95% right. You want to, but you want to, you want to ideally get to a situation where you can be hundred percent right. And sometimes, but to be hundred percent right, you're actually better off shaving off 10% of the story. So that there's no, so that even if it, you might miss a bit of the, sensa- the more sensational bit, it's more watertight, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fascinating, mate. I, I can imagine how challenging that would be because like you said, every second counts and uh, it's super competitive, plus there's high demand. So yeah, I can't imagine how, how you'd manage that. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode with Daniel Cherney. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Loris Bertolacci. 
you've worked with a lot of individual world-class athletes as well as successful teams winning swimming premierships. Are there certain traits that you've noticed over your time that you start to notice, oh, that, I reckon that kid's going somewhere when you see a younger developing athlete? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Look, it's all individual because some people, again, we go back to programming, which is individualised, which should be individualised. Well, the same with emotional traits and motivational traits that athletes have. It's hard to sometimes pinpoint at 14, 15, 16. I, I am a big one, though, for uh, waiting. The odd person that just smacks you in the face at 14, 15, just amazing. But I, I do like to wait till 17, 18, 19 to really see how that person copes with life and, and all, all, all those other things. Because, yeah, a little bit sometimes, I mean, I'm just thinking now of three or four kids that I was training 10 years ago that were absolutely, to use a word, every clamshell well and everything, but, but they never, I know them all and, and they all, they all got to 18 and they, wanted to go out and party and life changed for them. So a little bit difficult to, to sort of, I think you need to have that mass of people well-educated up till about 16, 17, 18, and then you see who comes through. And, and I don't think there's any one trait. That, I mean, the, ob the obvious one is they're disciplined. They're uh, always disciplined. I think they're motivated. To hear more from Loris Bertolacci, make sure to score episode 34 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the full episode on Daniel Cherney. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. It would be interesting to hear about how you do, what coping strategies you do do to be able to thrive in that environment from a mental point of view and stress. But, but we'll go first for the, how competitive is it? Are you aware of other journos that have heard of these morsels as you're hearing them and then there's a bit of banter between journos and things like that? Or is it pretty much you don't know what any, you know, you don't have time to worry about what everyone else is doing. You're just focusing on your story and then, you're waiting once you've gone through your process uh the competition doesn't matter you're you go like talk us through about that oh look i think rarely will you know what someone else certainly for another maybe within your own outlet you, you might know what they're working on certainly at the age we were quite a big big footy for instance or cricket team and you sort of you have some you usually have some idea of, or often have some idea of what they were working on in any given day you not you don't generally have an idea of of what other outlets are on occasionally, very occasionally, you will get, you might be tipped off that someone else is, you know, you, you might, you might have been, say, waiting for a response from another party on a store, from, from an interested party on a story, or waiting for them to update you on a key detail before you sort of run with the story just to give, to make it a better story or to give it a bit of due, just a bit of due diligence or a bit more time. And then occasionally you might be tipped off, say, oh, you probably should run with this now because someone else is onto it. That does happen from time to time. Sure, it's happened both ways. I'm sure there've been times when, you know, I've been the one both to benefit and to to lose from that sort of thing. Yeah, you, look, I think I try to remain very conscious of, of what others are doing in the sense of, I suppose, before I publish anything of, of any sort of breaking news significance, I will, or even before I, often, sometimes even before I make, because what might happen is sometimes you might piece of information you think, oh, has that been out yet? Because it, 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 it's impossible to keep track of absolutely everything. So. I, and the easiest way is to search Twitter and Google to see has anyone reported this yet. And if they have, I will often just drop the drop thing because it's like it's sort of it's out there and it's just I've just missed it. That happens sometimes. Usually, if it's a big enough story, you've probably seen it. Given those are the my job, so it's my job to stay on top of things. I mean, I suppose that the nature of the com competitions it's probably like with anything with IP. You don't want others to be aware of what you're doing because you don't want them to scoop you or, and 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 vice versa. But occasionally, you'll know. And in terms of how you deal with that, um, those stresses, I think it's tricky because you, it's because it's sort of because of social media and because of the internet, it's just it can be all the time. And probably early in my career, and even now, you still struggle. Probably earlier in my career, it was like I would you'd really struggle to switch off. And now I'm, I'm better at and at times, occasionally, it's um, because it can be a matter of seconds. And I really, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it can actually be a matter of seconds. Rarely, rarely is it a matter of seconds. Usually, often it's a matter of minutes. Plenty of time, it's a matter of hours. But, but I will try to every now and again, um, even for a few hours a week, whether it's switching my phone off. I've been much better over the last. I've had a concerted effort actually from about actually pre just before COVID, but I've done so for about a couple of years to sort of not sleep with my phone in my room, um, just because I find I found it very hard to switch off searching through social media or websites or 
because you just you just get in that rabbit hole because um, there's always something more to know or to search or to look or to, they call it what they call it doom scrolling. I think it's really important to stay. And I can tell if there are periods where you're like, I feel, I don't feel fresh, and you need to be able to freshen up. So that's a good mechanism on a sort of daily basis, and then you know for a weekly basis, and maybe it's a, it's a few hours of just putting your phone down, putting it on flight mode for a couple, a few hours, just to. And you know, you'd run the risk if you miss the call. That's bloody the biggest story of the year. Like, and that's always a bit because unfortunately, it's not a job where it's. If it was a nine to five job and you could sit there and you, you knew I put in the hard work for these thirty eight hours a week, then I'll get X results. That'd be great. But it doesn't work like that. So there is a trade off. And but I think in the long run, you need in the long run. I'll get more out of my performance um, if I have if my you know, time off is genuine time off. Don't, don't just, don't get sucked into having, you know, try to make it like when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm not, I'm not. And, and, and try to be re try to delineate to an extent. Uh, it, it can be tricky, but um, at least try to find some sort of clear air. It's like, this is a time that I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm just trying not to think about it and, and try to remove myself from my phone and just spend some quality time with, with loved ones or with, or just by myself, go for a walk or a run or something like that, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and what about like those stories where, like you said, you reflect on them and you're like, well, I, st- I still went through my process that has served you, but there was just a timing judgment where you went a little bit earlier than, you know, in hindsight. Uh, and then you cop it in social media and, and, you, and you, you know, the way it unfolds, like the, the North Melbourne one. How do you manage that? I mean, that would be very similar for high performance athletes celebrities how do you deal with yeah that judgment on a public scenario like that yeah look it's hard it it, it can be i want to say it's hard like it it, it can wait especially when they're people it's funny like if it's just people who just abuse you i'm actually not as upset it just i like often it's more a water off the duck's back they're they're just sort of outright abuse and you don't respect someone's and and I, i can just tell that they're just trolling that's actually almost easier because I just sort of disregard their opinion because I just feel as though they're, they're, they're doing it to get a rise out of you. Whereas sometimes if it's someone who you might actually respect or someone with, you know, within the industry or credibility, and sometimes people should go at you, you know, even if it's not, even if it's not a, on social media, it might be a, you might get a message from someone in the industry who just was unhappy with the way something was reported. And sometimes they're just going to be unhappy. And the truth is when you're in this caper, you're going to make some people unhappy by the things you report and that you just got to, you just got to cop that. And it's, it's constantly, it's sort of becoming, trying to become comfortable with being uncomfortable and trying to remind yourself, take some deep breaths and say, look, this is why this has happened. I think it's probably going through the process, but I think, look, it can be emotionally draining because you, you, you need to try to reassure yourself that you've gone through the correct process and, and then you can, and, you, and, and, and sometimes you need to think through it. But that, I think that gives it again where, it's really important that even if it's even if you get that negative feedback, and even if it it's it's, it's important, I think to to think about to take that on board because sometimes because even though social like I'm not social media can be a cesspit, but it can also but there are things you can learn from that and from people, and sometimes people make valid points. And look, sometimes you make a minor error in the story, and people picks up pick it up. That's one of the good things about social media; they pick it up in a minute, and you change online, and it's no harm done. But I think it's about taking it on board. Yeah, just trying to trying to have people that I think ultimately what it comes down to is, is is having people whose opinions you value and trust and who if you listen to you know if, if you have people whose opinions you, you you respect and if they're giving you feedback you're more likely to take it on board and you and you you will you'll go to them you know maybe if there's something that happens it's having someone to say oh look what do you think of this you know what do you think of this issue and if if they and talking it through with them, and then you you often feel a lot more comfortable having actually spoken, talked through it with them, and then and they often will empathise with you. And then also the other thing is just being able to put a bit of a full stop on it at least for a day, at least for the day, and just not letting it taking it to bed with you. Just trying to have a moment where you can zone off and zone out, and be able to sort of remove yourself from that spiral. You know, having other things in your life, go and read a book, go and you know talk. I'm recently married, go and talk to my wife about her life and her day and watch a show with her or just anything just just to take your mind off it and um i think that so you, you try you, you try to learn but you also try to make sure it doesn't completely 
control your life because you can always you can always get stuck into sucked sucked into these sorts of vortexes, so to speak. Yeah, and you, and you've mentioned process a few times over your uh, experience. What are some of the best ways that you've refined your process? Is that through making mistakes and then reflecting on it, and then that way, or is it speaking to other mentors with experience that you work with? Talk us through how you've yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, I think Jack, I think it's both of those are very good. So, uh, so certainly, I think you do learn from mistakes, and I'm not not saying I've never repeated mistakes, but I think over the course you tried it, you probably over a, say ten year period or so now you you I feel like some of the mistakes I was making earlier are not ones I'm making nearly as much or uh, or, or or sort of sort of watered them down, and I think you know some of those probably sometimes the emotional impact of of things like those stories and and stuffing up actually then the that the the discomfort i don't know i don't want to say pain because i don't think it's necessarily pain but sort of the the embarrassment or the the feeling of the dissatisfaction or the feeling of oh, i should have done better there will does drive you and and hope and i think does guide you to say um, and you might only have one or two of these moments a year where you're like they wear away really quite heavily but i think you know across the course of 10 years there's probably been say a dozen moments like that where you think you've really learned something and you and you think and that's not to say that i haven't learned a lot at all all the time you're always learning it at some level but i think those those moments where you stuff up a bit do end up becoming huge learning moments because they just they they sit in your mind and the next time you're in a, you know your mind recognizes patterns and like Hang on, this is what I, I've been in this position before. This was where I fell. I went, came into trouble. You know, if there's so like if another situation like that North Melbourne one came up again, or St Kilda, or there was a situation where you know there's stories about player injury that I um, a couple a few couple of years ago that I, I thought I had good mail on, but probably didn't quite go. And that was that was more a speed and accuracy a, a speed thing. But again, it just says okay, well. You're here, but have you thought about this because you've been there? And then, yeah, also certainly from, from mentors and from senior people. And I was very lucky to work with some excellent people. I've learned, you know, Jake Nile, I learned a lot from certain messages, certain things that he instilled in me from very early in my career, you know, resonate to this day. Peter Wright at the age was an excellent sounding board. I'm just lucky to have a lot of, you know, very good senior journalists I work with and even sometimes it's people at other outlets who are sort of rivals and even though you're or, or, or sort of competitors and sometimes even though you're not going to talk probably necessarily talk as many of the specifics but you know I don't, I don't think you mind me saying like someone like Mitch Cleary Channel 7 now who I hugely respect and I get along with well and sometimes you can just empathize and use some tell little war stories and you're like and it, and it helps you sort of in your own mind, say, okay, yeah, I'm not the only one here. I, I you know, this person's going through this as well. And, and you just, uh, Mark McGowan, who's sort of now a, a stable mate at, at News Corp, like a, another person who I sort of bounce things off like that a bit. So you end up learning from, from a whole range of people and from experiences. I think ultimately that's just professional settings in life. And you just got to continually try to make sure that you take any negative experience and turn it and, and turn it into, even if not a positive, you know, turn it into something that you've, you can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, mate. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. We'll, we'll move. Uh, you mentioned uh, the importance of freshening up through uh, uh, watching movies, reading books. Well, that's a, a good segue for the next part, which is more a, a lighter section of the podcast, the get to know you, mate, uh, section. So First one, on that note, which movie or TV series can be a book as well has impacted you the most and why? This is nothing to do with journalism. This is just... Uh, yeah, I think, look, I think ultimately um, it's probably The Simpsons or Seinfeld just because I've just, just cause I sort of immersed myself in it as a kid and even into my adolescence and probably my 20s, but both, both those shows, but particularly Simpsons. I think I just grew up with The Simpsons. I quote, quote it all the time. Uh, it... it, it um, I don't think I necessarily learned any great philosophical things from it, but it probably shaped my sense of humour and, and that Seinfeld did too. There were some books, some of the books we did at high school, like Catcher in the Rye really resonated with me, which is quite a famous book. And I remember in year 12, that was quite, it was a period where I felt it was quite a transformative time 
in my life that I thought, yeah, that resonated. Look, it's probably The Simpsons. Awesome. Simpsons and Seinfeld, you can't go wrong. Relaxing session. Uh, Favourite inspirational quote or life motto? I think the one that I was thinking of this earlier today, the one that resonates, and I don't know who said it initially, but I think the idea of the pain of hard work being better than the pain of regret. And I think, or something along those lines, I'm going to butcher that slightly, but that sort of mantra of you'd rather, yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's sort of that idea of you'd rather not die wondering. So it's that sort of idea of you get into a situation, you, I'd, I'd rather scratch that itch, so to speak. And I think in my life, I've, I've probably, or I've tried to err on the side of, and sometimes you get in the situations in journalism actually where you're like, oh, and it's not even necessarily about hard work. It's just about, you have to make a really awkward call or chase up an, a lead that's really, you know, like this is going to be tedious, painful, but you're like, you just force yourself to do it. And often enough, it, it ends up being worthwhile. And that extra call, that extra call back or that extra, say someone calls you back at an inconvenient time and you just can't really be bothered talking to that person now, but you, it's, generally, it, it's, it's generally worth it. I mean, obviously, as I said, you do need a it can be overkill and, and you're always balancing, you know, if I take that call, well, I might not get good night's sleep and I'm better off actually waiting until tomorrow. So there's a balance to be struck, but um, yeah. I think I think I'd on the side of taking the call most of the time. Yep. Yeah. And what about in your work life? What makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Um, oh, I think what makes me angry is... Um, uh, I think ultimately what makes you angry is that as a journalist, there's two things I sort of ask of people um, uh, as sort of who are sort of on the other side of it, I suppose subjects of journalism or media managers or things like that is, is um, not to lie and to be, I'm not saying to be texting you back in five seconds, but sort of to you know, respond to you within a somewhat reasonable time, time frame. So those are the, probably the two things that, um, I've long insisted those are the only two things I think I, I, I take as sort of almost a, I think should be taken almost as a given or that the, and the rest I find is almost a bonus, you know. Um, and I understand when there are times people can, can't say, you know, people say, look, I can't tell you this or that. And occasionally, you know, and while that can be frustrating at the moment, um, I, I understand that. But I think it's just, it's it's the lack of, I suppose it's the lack of respect in the sense of not, of, um just sort of respecting that, you know, I have a job to do, so at least, you know, treat me, you know, show me the dignity to sort of, not just me, anyone, the dignity to sort of um, acknowledge that I've been in contact with you at some point. Um, yeah, so those are probably the two things that, um, that really, um, I sort of said as, as really not annoy me when they're not followed. And I, and I feel if they're not adhered to, you almost lose the right to, um, um, when that, when people don't adhere to those two, particularly if you, you can, if you know, I mean, it's often people, I find there's probably times when people tell half truths and, and manage to you know, have, have, have um, plausible deniability. But when, when I, when I, when I know someone's lied to me or, um, or someone just hasn't got back to me for days or whatever. Um, they sort of, in some respects, forfeit in my eyes the the right to. You, you sort of next time you, you can't trust them, and next time you don't necessarily warrant that. And I still will try to do so where possible, but don't necessarily warrant that heads up call or something like that, um, because if they haven't treated you with that sort of respect then I don't, and it's questionable as to whether they deserve those. So those are the two things that, that do annoy me. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, and what about in a COVID free world? What do, what's your favorite way to spend your, your day off? Um, day off. Yeah. I, I love, um, I love being able to just switch off, um, either just like on a nice day, just go, um, go for a, like I love just going for a, a drive into a nice area wherever it is just explore a bit drive and then a lot drive and walks you know go down to country town or something and walk around the shops or walk around the um walk around the you know nature walks something like that it's, I just 
or on the beach or anything like that, I just like to be able to switch off. Um, yeah, just sort of exploring, exploring places that I haven't been before um, on a day off. It, and it doesn't need to be anywhere exotic. It just be a little, like it can be another part of Melbourne that I haven't been to in a long time. Or just as, just stuff like that, just being able to, and, you, you know, with, usually with my, usually now with my wife, occasionally by myself as well. But, um, yeah, that sort of stuff. Nothing too exciting. And you mentioned off air, you, you've started a new um, new job with the code. Um, take us through that transition from from the age and, and uh, what does a typical day look like and, and what are you excited about as well for for the rest of the year, mate, for 2022? Um, a really tough call to leave the age um, who had been, you know, obviously a very renowned, you know, institution in, in Melbourne and um, almost probably nationally and maybe internationally. Um, so a very tough call and, and, you know, I have so much time for people there and, 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 and you know, can't thank them enough for the chance I got there. Um, oh, it was just probably the chance um, for a bit more opportunity and um, um, and freedom and the chance to sink my teeth into something new, which was, you know, it was sort of one of those things that was too good to pass up. Um, so, um, look, it hasn't probably changed my, you know, it doesn't necessarily change my life enormously. I mean, the, 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 the job is um, pretty similar, um, probably have a bit more, um, probably have a bit more, I don't know, to be quite as reactive to the daily news cycle and have a bit more time to sort of explore um, leads and stories and be a bit more, um, a bit more freedom, maybe a bit more flexibility, um, around the day, which has been, a, I suppose, a nice change again, um, not having to put out a newspaper as well, um, means you probably get a bit more flexibility there because you're not as bound by newspaper deadlines and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been great to get the chance to sort of sink my teeth into some longer form stuff and, um, yeah, have the chance to sort of explore, um, various stories and be to try to provide a, a, a new offering in the market. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot, uh, I think there's, there's a lot going for the site. Um, and, um, so if, yeah, for the rest of the year, I mean, we're sort of pretty fresh into the men's footy season. So it's still probably a little bit about finding what, what a, what a standard week looks like, but it's hopefully trying to, um, just with given the, the chance to remove us, remove ourselves from the daily news cycle a little bit. And it's not to say I'm not still trying to break news because I, because I am, um, but um, to be able to tell some stories that maybe haven't necessarily been a, a, as explored or, or, or even just tell stories that at the time might be a little bit off to the side, but um, to sort of explore them a bit more deeply, you know, t- talk to some players that maybe are a bit off the, off the beaten track, um, some issues in the game, um, in, in, in footy and cricket, the two sports I made the cover, and, and um, some yeah, some just different different tales, and hopefully provide some nuance and, and analysis and insight, and, and 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 something that you know provide the reader with um, something where they think, oh, this is interesting and worth worth subscribing to. So that's that's ultimately it, um, and that can come in various guises, but um, yeah, that's that's sort of it. Just trying to provide good, engaging. Um, content and, and, you know, try to continue to produce, hopefully produce good journalism. Yeah. yeah. And, and on that note, um, for, for the young journos out there, what is your philosophy with a good story? Like how do you engage a reader? How do you hook a reader on with the, with the title? Uh, and then, of course, provide good content that follows up with that title. What are some key pillars, I guess, to a good story? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great question, and it's one we still grapple with every day. Um, and headlines are important, and 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 we sort of we, because of a social media age and a headline age, and you know, in the forty years ago, you would just pick up the newspaper and whatever was in it was in it, and that was the news, and you just read the whole. You know, you'd read, you'd say, oh, that was interesting, that headline and that picture, and you'd sort of, or you'd turn on the TV and whatever was there was there, and you know, it caught your attention or it didn't. Whereas now, it's like it's such a shouting contest because there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Um, it's really important if you're writing, I think ultimately try to get the best stuff up the top, um, uh, whatever that is, just whatever's most interesting or, or just sort of a few of the really good, 
um, principles I was taught were, yeah, get the, if, if, if there's an anecdote in a story, like um, say you've done a profile piece on someone or, or, or even on a theme, get that, in, that most interesting anecdote, anecdote up the top as a, as a hook, um, uh, you know, put them in that, um, or whatever the most interesting topic is. And if it's, um, there was also a, a Michael Gleason, who's my former colleague at the age, he gave me a really good tip pretty early on um, after I'd sort of slightly, not bungled, but probably um, maybe just hadn't quite put the most newsy thing in a, in, a, in a new story at the top. And he goes, what are people talking about at the pub? The pub test, you know, imagine sitting, you know, having three or four, you know, mates sitting around a pub. What, what, what's the thing they're talking about? Put that thing at the top, whatever it is, just whatever's interesting. Um, so little things like that. And, um, yeah, I think also while I think clickbait can be problematic um, because you can sort of – and, and like I've, I've probably done, I've done clickbait stories and, and clickbait is a I mean clickbait probably has a bad gets a bad name because it's ultimately it's it's tr you're trying to get people into your story so at any level at some level you're always there's always a bit of clickbait because we're always trying to you know if you got a story you want people to read it but don't don't oversell don't 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 give it something that it's not you know don't pretend like your story is something that's not but also by the same token don't be afraid to if there's something good in there don't bury it. Um, don't just because it might be a bit controversial or a bit edgy. Like if it's worth, if, it, if you're including it in the story, give it a prominence because there's no point. I think one thing is there's no point having something good and burying it. If, if it's good, you know, sell it. If it's not really there, don't try to sell it. Don't add the, you know, don't, don't pretend it's something it's not, but um, yes, yeah, so those are probably the main some of the main principles that um, I think are, 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 I try to, you know, I try to adhere to, and, and I think are worth adhering to as you as you're coming into, you know, as you're practicing your writing, um, and probably across all media, there's there's an element of that, but certainly in, in the written written word. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there's some takeaways there for for social media, like you mentioned, the thumbnails and YouTube clips and headings and. <laughs> um, you can transfer that to anyone that's listening. Uh, I know that's something that I'll I'll practice from that sound advice, and and uh, hopefully this does reach out to a few journo's that are aspiring to to be like yourself, Daniel. I really appreciate your time, mate, for coming on and, and sharing with us your, your journey. Um, obviously, you're, you're still well and truly in it, but being a decade in, you've had some great stories and experiences. So thanks so much for sharing uh, what's worked for you, and uh, you know success leaves clues, and you've had plenty of that. But then also. Uh, being open and honest about the mistakes and, and what you learned from that and how you've grown professionally and personally as well, mate. So thanks for, for jumping on. No, it's a pleasure, Jack, and great work with the, with the podcast and all you're doing on your channel and, and, yeah, all the best for the rest of the year. No doubt we'll see you hopefully at a crowd one day, at a, you know, with crowds back in the MCG. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's great to see. So no, looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks for everyone that's listening as well. If you tuned in late, make sure to watch the full episode. You can watch that on our YouTube channel. And next week we'll release the episode on our podcast channel, which will be on all the podcast directories on Spotify, iTunes, and all the rest. Our next live chat will be next Thursday. It's a live collaborative event with Nathan Chapman, Mark Chucko-Williams, Kevin Ball, and Josh Crowden. So four AFL kicking experts. It'll be like a workshop. They'll present on a topic specifically to improving your kicking performance. So if you're a football out there or maybe a coach, uh, definitely tune in for that one. It's the 31st of March at 8.30 p.m. I'll see you guys then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um, It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me 
insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.